Welcome. Thank you for watching this teaching video from Oak Tree Community Church in South Bend, Indiana. Please check out our other videos and don't forget to like and subscribe. Our mission is to help people come to know Jesus better and love Him more every day. We believe this will not only help our own spiritual growth, but also help us better influence the community and the world for Christ. For more information about Oak Tree, please visit us at oaktreechurch.com. There you'll find past message series, online giving options, and more information about our discipleship process that we call The Path. Now, enjoy this message. We'd love to hear from you in the comments or the website contact form. Thank you. We are um, right at pretty much at the halfway point of this series that we are doing, not in the Bible. You know, most of the time we teach, like right in the Bible, I would be saying, all right, open your Bible to whatever the passage is or, or whatever this morning. For a couple of weeks, we're not doing that, and um, it's okay, all right? What we're doing is we're taking one or two steps back, and we're saying, let's talk about the Bible instead of just from it, okay? And what we're, what we're working through is a series of principles and practices of Bible study, okay? So that uh, you can um, feel confident that when you open the Bible, you are handling it accurately. You're handling it well. We've spent the last two weeks, this is week three, um, out of seven, and I'll show you that in just a second. We've spent the last two weeks focused on um, where did the Bible come from? That was the first week. Where did it come from? Uh, why should we study it? And we, uh, we, we looked at uh, just a couple of verses that shows that the Bible comes from God. Now, I know when I say that, it sounds a little uh, almost superfluous. There we go. All right. Superfluous. All right. That's what happens when you use a big word. Sometimes you trip over it. And uh, it, it's a little bit, little bit circular, a little bit redundant. How do we know the Bible is the Word of God? Because it says so. Come on. Come on. You know. How, you know, how do we know that I'm God? Because I said so. You wouldn't buy that, right? So uh, there, there is a sense, and maybe you've been in this argument or this debate before. Somebody says, okay, you know, prove that the Bible is the Word of God without using the Bible. You don't just get to go to a verse and say, yeah, I'm the Word of God. See? Right? And so... There has to be, and, and there's actually an entire science, and we didn't get into all of the work, but there's actually an entire science that, uh, that shows that this book, or this really, it's a collection, it's a library of 66 individual writings, has been preserved in a way that is miraculous, in a way that nothing in all human history has ever been preserved. Nothing. We've got more copies, we've got more translations of this book than we have anything else. And the fact that it was written by uh, 40 or more people in three different languages on three different continents over a span of 1,500 years, and it still keeps the same message without contradicting itself, without changing anything, is, is a mate, you can't, you can't, do we can't uh, I, I use the the illustration if we play the telephone game just in here we wouldn't get it right from start to finish 
And we're all talking the same language in the same room on the same day. Do this over 1,500 years in multiple languages and people who never knew each other, who were continents apart from each other, and never contradicting, it's unheard of anywhere else in human history. This is, the fact that we have this is a miracle. The fact that we have this is a miracle. There's, there's, no, there's no other way. God chose to preserve this in a unique way, in a special way that nothing else has ever been done. And because of that, uh, we call that inspiration and preservation. Because of that, it ha- we have the authority of God. When we read from this, we're reading God's own words. When we read from this, we have God's authority. When, when we preach this, when we teach this, when we share this, I'm not standing here under my own authority because I studied it once or twice, because I've read it a handful of times. I'm standing here with the authority when I say this is what God says. If it comes from here, it's what God says. And it carries all of God's authority. Now, if I say this is what God says and it contradicts the Bible... One of us is wrong, and it's not the Bible. (laughs) When I'm teaching, when I'm counseling, when I'm talking with people, several of you have heard me say this before, just in our conversations or in different classes maybe. I get my information when I'm teaching. I get my information basically from two sources. Okay? Big big picture. The Bible is number one. one. One source is the Bible. The other source is my experience, what I've heard, my opinion, all of that stuff together, right? What you do with my opinion, what you do with my experience, what you do with, well, this is what I think, that's up to you. You can accept it. You can reject it. You can throw it on the floor and stomp on it. You can do anything you want because it's my opinion. It's my experience. It's what I think. This is non-negotiable. It's the way it is. This is non-negotiable. Now, Are there times we have disagreements about how exactly, you know, what exactly this means? Yes. And we should wrestle with those things. We should engage in lively discussion, not yelling at each other, not arguing, lively, civil discussion. This is why internet debates aren't so good. Okay? I called somebody a blasphemer and a heretic last night. Now, I, I use those words very carefully. I don't do that just because. But last night, uh, there's a, a, a guy that I'm connected to in a couple of different ways. This guy, I, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay, when we get to the next slide, I'll show you. Uh, I'll tell you, there are two, I've got two examples literally just from this week of exactly what we've been talking about when it comes to hermeneutics, how to handle the Bible properly. Okay. Last week we looked at some concepts. We looked at some definitions. Those messages are on our website, on our YouTube channel. If you want to go back and look at those again, um, if you didn't get them on our website, I haven't mentioned this over the last couple of weeks, so you might be interested on our website. If you go to the messages page, not only is there the video and the audio, but my PowerPoint for that week is also up there. You can download the slides. Okay, some of you take really good notes and you're like, I don't want your stupid notes. I want my notes. That's fine. That's fine. But some people want uh, want to have my notes too. All right. Here is 
Uh, here's where we're going today. We're looking at the basic Bible study process, a four-step process that every one of us can use, every one of us should use on a regular basis. This is like the hands-on stuff, okay? Next week, uh, this is just, uh, today, this is just one main type of study. I think it's the most, probably of, there are three types of study. We'll do two more next week. I think this one is the most important because it sets up the other two. All right, and that's why we're doing them in the order that we are. And then parts five, six, and seven, uh, Gary's going to be up here, and he is going to finally get back into the Bible. He's like, four weeks out of the Bible is enough. He kicks me out, and he's going to get back into the Bible. Uh, no, what he's going to do is he's going to say, all right, here are three separate passages. Week one, week two, week three, or five, six, seven. Based on what we have been going through during our morning service, during second hour, or the questions, the discussion, let's work through these passages, okay? And we will tell you a week ahead of time, next week's passage is X. So you have the opportunity to do that all week long before you come on Sunday morning. All right. So then Gary will talk through it. He'll talk through some of the things that he found and talk through uh, the process that we're, that we're going to be looking at today. And then you'll go into second hour and the discussion should be fantastic because you've already done the work. He's done the work and you can bring your stuff together. How's that sound? Is that good? All right. You have to stay for second hour though. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then you take off right after church. You can't do that, right? So yeah, stay for second hour and it'll be even better. Okay. Here is a an overarching principle that we all need to know for our lives, okay? That is this, Bible study for the sake of study is not enough. If all we're doing is studying the Bible just so that we can know more about the Bible, we're going to fall short on what the real purpose is. Bible study for the sake of study is not enough. Learning the Bible is not our goal. It is the means to an end. And that end is not knowing the Bible, but knowing the God who wrote the Bible. The way we say it around here is knowing Him better and loving Him more. That's the goal. Now, it may sound like I'm disparaging the Bible a little bit. I'm not trying to, but you have to understand that some people make this their God. Some people make this their end all. If I can know the Bible, if I can memorize the Bible, if I can quote the Bible, I read it every day, I whatever. It doesn't change my theology. It doesn't change the way I live. It doesn't change what I think. It doesn't change anything about me. But man, I read the Bible every day. I study the Bible. I've got notes and notes and notes, but it hasn't changed anything. The Bible has become an idol because it's not leading us where it's supposed to lead us. Ultimately, this is a means to an end. You know that when we get to eternity, I'm guessing we're not going to have Bible studies anymore? Just saying, right? You want to know something, go talk to God Himself. All right? And in fact, 1 John 3 says that at that point, we will know as we are known now. We will know so much more. We will be in perfect relationship with God. We'll know everything that He cares for us to know. We're not going to need Bible studies anymore. The goal is not studying the Bible. You can study the Bible every day for, the, for your entire life and never come into a good relationship with God. This is not enough. Not for the sake of... Just Bible study for the sake of study is not enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 
I almost, almost left just the first phrase because that's really the mic drop phrase. Okay, that's really the, the uh, just it's the second half of verse one, one, the B section of verse one. And but then I added verse two, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's the mic drop section right there. Right. You know, people who are puffed up with knowledge, but they're jerks. They're smart, but they're stupid. Right. Okay, they are not the type of people, brilliant people, but not the type of people that you want to hang around. Knowledge, but this is in the Bible. You can look it up yourself. You should look it up yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And then Paul goes on to say, if someone thinks he knows something, I just love that whole, there, there, there is a context and you have to look at the context in chapter 8. I'm not pulling this out of context. That's why I included verse 2. If someone thinks he knows something, he doesn't yet know to the degree that, he's, that he needs to know. Okay? Are you smart? Do you know the Bible? Some of you would say yes. Some of you would be like, no, I don't really know the Bible. All of us, the Apostle Paul says, good, I'm glad. Learn some more. I don't care how much you know. You don't know enough. Because if you knew this completely, if you knew this perfectly, that means you would know God completely and perfectly. And Paul, who actually talked to God, who got his message from God, still said, my goal is to know him better. Know him, know him, know him. Even Paul didn't know him completely in this life. Bible study for the sake of study is not enough. Our pattern, I love Ezra chapter 7. Our pat Ezra's just gives us a great pattern here. And yes, this is from the Old Testament because there is stuff in the Old Testament we still need to know. We don't take everything from the New Testament, right? Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Notice Ezra's pattern. Now, Ezra had dedicated himself to three things study the law of the Lord. Okay, today we would call that Bible study. He's dedicated himself to Bible study. Many Christians don't even do that. Many Christians don't even dedicate themselves to studying it, much less the rest of it. But Ezra dedicated himself to studying the law of the Lord, but he didn't stop there. And this is why he becomes a great pattern for us. And to its observance. Okay, now if you don't like that word, I prefer a different word, so I'm going to substitute obedience to obeying it. Okay, not just observing it, not just watching it, right? You know, the way we use observance. To obeying it. Study it, obey it, and then to teaching its statutes and judgments in Israel. Now, you may be like, I'm not a teacher. Nope. Nope. I'll study it. I'll even sometimes obey it, but there is no way you're going to get me to teach it. The fact is that if you are alive and breathing, you are teaching someone else. There's always somebody watching, right? Always somebody watching. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to have a classroom to be a teacher. And in fact, Colossians chapter 3 says that we are all supposed to teach one another with all wisdom the things of God. We're all teachers. Now, we may not have a classroom. We may not have the microphone. We may not be the person up here, whatever. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are supposed to be sharing what you know. 
You don't like the word teach? Fine. Use share. Okay? Be a sharer. Just not your germs, right? Be a sharer of the Word of God. Be a teacher of the Word of God. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Somebody's watching. Somebody's listening. And if you dedicate yourself, if I dedicate myself to study and obeying the Word of God, sharing it, teaching it, whatever term you like, comes a whole lot easier. The problem is, is people try to jump straight to teaching when they've never studied it and they're certainly not obeying it. That's a problem. There is an order. Ezra is our pattern. Ezra is, um, is a good model for us. See, what's interesting is that if you look at our path, the eight steps of the path, knowledge is just one. Right? Knowledge is one of eight. We come to Jesus in faith then we dedicate ourselves to Him as excellence, and then we have knowledge where we start to read and we start to learn. But there's still five steps after that. We have to put it into practice in self-control. We're going to be tested on it in perseverance. We need to prioritize our lives and line it up with God, and we become godly the way He wants us to be, and then we can spin that out in our brotherly love for fellow Christians and unselfish love for the rest of the world. That's the process that God is calling us to live through, and knowledge is just a tiny step. It's an important step, but it's a tiny step. Okay, If our knowledge isn't leading us to the other steps, then we're doing it wrong. The phrase my dad liked to use years ago, probably still does if he remembers it, is, uh, it's not a crack about how old he is, even though he is. Uh, <laughs> uh, he used to call people who did a lot of schooling, but they didn't really know anything. You know, that's not, right? He used to call them educated idiots, right? Fits, doesn't it? They're educated. We're not, we're not dissing their education, but man, you try to put them in a very practical situation, they don't know anything. Anything at all, right? They're effectively useless in this world no matter how much knowledge they have. Okay, and we know people like that and we don't want to be people like that. Now, the other side of the pendulum is also wrong. Well, I'm just going to be a, a I'm, I'm going to be a practical guy. I'm going to be a the average Joe. I'm just going to be a, a man of the people, a woman of the people. I don't need Bible study. I don't need seminary. I don't need anything. Over the years, I've known churches who celebrate the fact, announce the fact that their pastors, none of their pastors, went to seminary. We don't need that stuff. We're just average people like you. Now, seminary is not the end all. Okay, I know a lot of teachers in seminary. All right, I'm one of them. It's not the end all. <laughs> okay, but in what other profession? Let me just ask you: In what other profession? In the service type profession, high end profession, especially. In what other profession in this world do you go to somebody's office and not want to see a degree or a certificate hanging on the wall? Right. Go see your doctor. I hope he didn't have any training. Wow, that would have been what a waste of time and money. Lawyer? You know, they don't need to know anything about the law. They're just going to try cases and you know just hope that it makes sense, right? Okay? Your car mechanic, they don't need any certifications, any training at all for your car mechanic, right? Fill in the list. Why is it that we insist 
on some of the best training, the best certifications, the best degrees, the best schools for so many things in our lives. But when it comes to a matter literally of eternal life and death, it's like, ah, we don't need training. We don't need anything formal. We'll just, ah, just have a little Bible study. We'll read a passage and everybody tells us what they think it means. And that's good enough? Really? Come on. I don't think so. Now, oops, I don't want to go there yet. Hold on. I'll tell you that in just a second. Uh, I wanted to tell you two examples. Um, from Just from this week. Yesterday, the guy that I called a heretic and a blasphemer, him and his friends, you'll, you'll get why in just a second. You're not going to laugh. In fact, it's, it's not funny. I had, had Sarah Lynn uh, read the Facebook post. He's a guy I'm acquainted with. Uh, we have several mutual friends. And he began his post with, uh, uh, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but something to the effect of, Jehovah, forgive me for uh, spending all this time worshiping a swine. Like, what? So then I had to read the rest of the post. Silly me. This was this educated academic, there was an excerpt of a chapter that he posted from a rabbi that proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you listen to him and go through all of the mental gymnastics that he had to go to to get to his conclusion, that the name Jesus means earth pig. And if you worship Jesus as a Christian, you are worshiping swine. Not laughing anymore, are you? Do you agree with me that there's probably some blasphemy going on in there? All right. He's convinced of this because he listened to a guy and listened to some people, and it didn't matter how much I tried to explain and other friends of mine tried to explain. All he did is he called in more friends who just backed him up on this. It's hor- This is stuff that's out there. He's not the only one who believes this. There's a lot, there's an entire movement here in the States and around the world that believes this type of blasphemy, heresy. Okay? A megachurch, another, he thinks he's smart. Here's the point. He thinks he's smart. He thinks, all of these people think they're smart. They're digging into the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin and all this stuff, which doesn't mean anything, at least not where they're going with it. I mean, they're completely misusing the, just, it was horrible, it was bad. Another thing I saw this week, uh, a church in North Carolina. Um, the the pastor was was um, uh, speaking about, he was using an illustration or, or speaking to the, um, the situation of, of Tyree Nichols. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, the, the, uh, the young man who was killed and by five policemen. Um, I don't know all the details. I'm not talking about that, but they were talking about the situation. And he said, and here's the quote, we need to teach people. That's the paraphrase. Here's the quote. Justification is by faith. We believe that. Justification is the process by which God declares us not guilty. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing added to it. We believe that. We teach that here. I was up, I was with him at that point. Justification is by faith and social justice. From his pulpit in his church last Sunday in North Carolina. 
If we don't engage in social justice, our faith isn't enough, we are not saved. It's faith and social justice is salvation according to that pastor. Now, he was all revved up about the situation with the young man and the policeman, and I get all that, but you can't do that. You can't do that. He may not even believe it. He may have that just may have been an emotional thing. I don't know. I, I was watching it. I caught the video because I saw the headline. I'm like, there's no way that's got to be edited, right? Nope. That's what he said. We've got to teach people. We have to get people to understand that justification is by faith and social justice. Can't do that. Can't do that. That is not what we're trying to do. So, unlike all these other professions, which, by the way, if you Google your symptoms and then go to your doctor, they're not happy with that, okay? <laughs> if you Google your, uh, your, your, what you think is your legal case and then go to your attorney, he's happy to bill you for listening to you talk, right? And say that there's nothing to, to your uh, Googling. If you Google your car issues, you might get it, but your auto mechanic is going to do all the work anyway. They don't want you messing with that, right? Every other profession says, I've got an idea. I've been trained on this. You're coming, you're coming to me because I've been trained on this. How about if you let me do my work? This is one of the few places, one of the few, and you, there's all sorts of other industries. Those are just three examples. You can come up with your own, probably the ones, all the ones you work in. This is one of the few places where I'm not just saying, I want you to do the work but I'm going to teach you how to do it and how to do it well because it is on you. It's not. I don't want you to just trust me. And I certainly don't want you to be dependent on me every time you have a spiritual question. I want you to be able to open this and study it and find it and learn it and live it. One of the few service industries in our world that, said, that puts it back on us. So, Here's the four-step process. Now, you've heard some of these steps in different ways. This is commonly taught in three steps. It's commonly taught, uh, most of you have heard, observation, interpretation, and application. Many of you have heard that. Observation, interpretation, and application. When we do SOAP, S-O-A-P, our Bible reading plan here at the church, we have the videos that post every Saturday on our Facebook channel, our website about upcoming readings. S is scripture, O is observation, A is application, and then P is prayer. So we still have observation and application in there. What I was, I've been studying this for a long time. I've been trying to come up with something and everybody has their own little shtick and there's lots of books out there and everything. That's fine. I'm hopefully one of these days I'll add mine to the, the mess, right? All the books out there, which is actually biblical. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon said, as of the writing of books, there will be no end. So I'm just trying to fulfill uh, <laughs> the Bible. Uh, what, I've, what I've been looking for is a way that's a little bit more memorable than just observation, interpretation, application, and a little bit more uh, instructional. It, tells us, it helps us remember it, and it tells us what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be doing it. And I came up with Acts sort of out of Ezra chapter 7 here. And because, because what I'm thinking is, since we're big on discipleship, we want you to follow the path, we want you to grow in your, your spiritual life, a biblical disciple, a genuine disciple, a follower of Jesus, 
acts on the Word of God. Acts on the study. Okay? That's, this is where, where it came. I'm just telling you behind the scenes. A growing disciple of Jesus acts on God's Word. Here are the four steps, and then we'll tear them apart a little bit. I'm just going to throw all four of them up here. Number one, ask questions. This is where it fits into the observation thing. Number one, ask questions. Number two, C is compose your thoughts. All right, that would sort of be like the interpretation step in the other uh, the the, the um, observation, interpretation, application. Number three is test test your conclusions. Okay, and then number four S is submit to God's word. And I think that's better than application. I think that's broader than application. I'll show you what I mean by that. All right, here's the four steps. Everybody can do it. You can do this right now. You can think of a passage. We'll do it in just a second. You can think of a passage and you can actually do these four steps. Hopefully it's something that you can remember a little bit easier than observation, interpretation, application. Ask questions, compose your thoughts, test your conclusions, and then submit to God's Word. All right, number one, ask questions. Ask questions, our friend Sherlock again. All right. Here is the key question for this step. Each of the steps has a key question that drives it. And that is, what does the text say? This is, I would say, in the process, from a process standpoint, this is the most important step, and it is the one that often gets overlooked the most. It is the hardest step. You should spend more time asking questions than any of the other individual steps may be combined. Okay? If you do this first step well, if you do it correctly, if you do it properly, accurately, the rest of them are like dominoes, man. They just fall in line, no problem, most of the time. The reason that we have so many denominations and cults and ideas and heresies and all this other stuff is because somebody, somewhere along the way, skipped this first step and went straight to the other ones. I'm just telling you. And when we do that, we misinterpret, we misapply, we, do, we, we miss. <laughs> we miss on all cylinders. The first step is ask a lot of questions. And the, the, the driving question is, what does the text say? What are the actual words? Don't jump to the meaning until you get the actual words down. This should be the longest and most difficult step in your, in your Bible study. Unless you are working directly in the original languages, Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament, and uh, Koine Greek in the New Testament. If, if Unless you are working directly in those languages, if you are working in English or any other language, this step should, be, should include reading multiple Bibles, not just one. Not just one. This is a translation. And it has an intended audience. It has an intended audience age. It has an intended audience uh, reading level. It has all sorts of intentions. There is an agenda. Agenda is not a bad thing. There is an agenda behind the New English Translation. If you like the New American Standard or the English uh, Standard Version, or you like the King James or the New King James, you like, list your favorite one. I don't care. 
there is an agenda, there is a purpose, there is an intended audience behind that translation committee that says this is who we're writing for, this is who we're translating for, this is the level of language. Some Bibles are written on a 12th grade reading level, some are written on a 6th grade reading level, intentionally. That's why when we compare our English Bible translations, we get different readings sometimes. Why does this one say this and this one says this? It's about the same, but there's a little bit of a different nuance. That's why. And so as we're studying a passage, by, by the way, this is far more than just reading, right? This is not just reading anymore. This isn't, I'm going to spend 10 minutes and then I'm going to move on with the rest of my day. This is study. Okay? You can do it in 10-minute blocks. It just takes this step a whole lot longer if you're doing this in 10-minute blocks. <laughs> okay? Read multiple translations. Say, I only have you know, one translation at home. I only have you know, maybe a couple of Bibles at home. There are several websites that have like a gazillion and a half Bibles on there for free. Okay, BibleGateway.com is one of them. Pretty much every Bible available to mankind. Start reading in other languages. You're like, I wish I knew another language. Hey, there's probably a Bible in that language. Okay. Read in multiple translations. Read multiple Bibles. Compare them. Contrast them. Hold on a second. I don't think these two things mean the same thing at all. Write it down. I was going to bring out uh, a thing I forgot. When I'm, when I'm doing this type of study, I'm a tech guy. Many of you know that. You know, I have tons of notes on my computer and everything. There is still something about a pencil and a yellow pad. I love a pencil and a yellow pad. I don't like white pads for some reason, but yellow pads just, I don't, I don't know if it's the way I, I, it looks on my desk. I don't know what it is, but there's something about a yellow pad and a pen or a pencil. And you just ask questions. Who is the writer? Who are they writing to? Why are they writing? Where were they located? What was the situation that they were in? Ask every question that you can possibly think of. Write them down. Write down all the answers. You're like, I didn't get an answer to this question. Good. Because that proves that you haven't drained the passage yet. Write the question down. Put a big star or something next to it that says, I'm still waiting for an answer here. Ask all the questions that you can think of. Lots of notes, lots of questions. If you're studying a passage and you can't fill up even one page of a yellow pad, you're not asking enough questions. Or your passage is too small, and then you should be asking even more questions because there's no context. Grab a paragraph, grab a section, and just ask every question. Take note of everything, everything that you observe, everything that you see. All we're working on is what does the text say right now, okay? It's just a mind dump. That's all we're doing. Page after page after page after page after page. It's the longest and hardest part of your study process, okay? Write down all your questions and answers to use later. The bottom bullet point is essential to this step. No commentaries. No study Bible notes. No footnotes. No handbooks. No, don't ask me. Don't ask your favorite, uh, your other favorite teacher. Don't, <laughs> don't ask anybody. Nothing except for this. That's the key to this step. Okay, 
You're, all you're doing is you're trying to take your passage and just wring everything out of it that you can get. Give me everything out of this passage that I can see. Okay? That's number one. So, for instance, let's say you're studying Genesis 1.1. It's a good place to start. It's on page one of your Bible. In the beginning, God created. It's not even the whole verse. First five words in English. In the beginning, God created. What are some of the questions we ask? Who is God? The beginning of what? What did He create? Ah, you used a He. We don't even know if He's a He yet. It's just God. When? Where? How? Why? Getting all of the good questions, all the W questions there, right? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what this is. You don't know anything yet. We haven't yet. We haven't read the rest of the Bible yet. We came to the Bible. We've never read it before. We opened it for the very first time. We read the first five words, and we've already filled up a page, right? Then we read the next couple of words. We're like, oh my, whoever or whatever this God is, I don't know if it's a he, she, it. I don't know if it's a force. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why, but I know that it's creative because it created. I know that it's powerful because it was able to create something. What did it create? The heavens and the earth, really? Okay, so apparently this God, whatever it, he, she, it, whatever is, is big, a little bit bigger than I am, apparently, right? I can't create anything. Because God created the heavens and the earth. Intelligent, powerful, creative, willful. You don't create the heavens and the earth by accident. But how cool would it be to be so powerful that you could? <laughs> There's a ton of stuff just in this first verse if we are willing to slow down and ask some questions. You'll never look at Genesis 1-1 the same way again. And that's good. I don't want you to. I don't want you to look at any of the Bible the same way that you've ever looked at it before. That's why we're doing this. Ask questions. What does it say? What does it say? Fill up pages. Fill up notebooks. Just what does it say? I'm not trying to conclude anything yet. I don't want to drive the, the, the study. I'm just, remember Sherlock Holmes says, I already know what happened. I'm just trying to figure out how I got there. We're not doing that. We're saying, I don't know what the end is yet. I'm just looking at every step along the way, just asking tons of questions and letting the questions drive me to the right conclusion instead of saying, I already know what's at the end and I'm going to try to make it happen. That's the difference. Ask questions. Number two, compose your thoughts. Once you've asked every question that you could possibly think of, and you're not done yet, but once you've come up with everything, you think you have squeezed it completely dry, now you start to compose your thoughts. You're reading back over all of those notes and you're asking this big question, all right, so what does it mean? I've got all these pages, so what does it mean? Start to categorize it. Start to put them together. Okay, this thought really goes with this thought over here. And so now I'm using more pages. Or maybe now you're putting it into your computer and you're starting to group things together. There's this data and there's this data and this data. And we're going to put this together and this stuff goes over here. And you start to compose it. You start to create a coherent line of thought 
Before, it's just like, I'm just grabbing data, everything I can find. Now I'm starting to compose it, put it together, and ask, so what does it mean? What does it mean in its plain, normal meaning? That's what we talked about last week, the literal reading. What does If I just look at the words on the page, in the beginning God created... I'll come back to this slide. In the beginning, God created. What does that mean? According to the plain, normal usage of the words. What does it mean? It means, in the beginning, (laughs) God created the heavens and the earth. That wasn't so hard, was it? You just did exegesis. Woo! Okay? You drew out from the text. All right? Ask more questions. You're starting to compose thoughts. You're starting to bring stuff together. You're like, oh, that was interesting. There's sort of a gap there. I wonder if, so ask more questions, okay? You're not done with the questions. The bottom bullet point is actually really, really interesting. No (laughs) commentaries, no study Bible notes, no other helps yet, okay? Because here, I'll just tell you, here's why. Because as soon as, and you know this is true, we do this in every other area, I don't know why it wouldn't be for the Bible as well, as soon as you hear somebody else's thought, that's the direction you're going to head, right? Every other thought is just like, okay, this guy said this, this woman said this, this study note said this. And all of a sudden, that's your train of thought, and you forget what you were actually working on. We don't want any distractions The only thing in front of our eyes is the Bible itself. Multiple Bibles. Why did one say this and one say this? That's a question. We need to study those words a little bit better. Maybe we need to do word studies. Maybe we need to, um, uh, you know, that's a quote from somewhere. I should probably find the quote. Who said that first? Oh, Isaiah said that first. Well, that's interesting. I never would have guessed that was the context when Isaiah said it. Asking tons of questions. Tons of questions. You're like, oh, what does that word mean in uh, the original language? Well, you don't know that yet because that's a help. And you may not know the original languages, so you're still going to need help with that, right? What is, what is uh, you know, why did he say it that way? Why did in Ephesians 4, when Paul quoted from the book of Psalms, did he change a couple of words around? Is he allowed to do that? Okay. You're going to run into all kinds of stuff. No helps yet. No helps yet. Keep yourself distraction-free. This is the only thing that you're looking at. Ask a ton of questions. Then begin to compose your thoughts. And what's probably going to happen is you end up asking more questions and composing more thoughts and asking more questions and composing more thoughts till you finally have something that you think, I think I've got this. This is pretty, I think, wow, I never would have, this is pretty cool. I think I've got this. You're, you're, you're like, I never would have thought of it in that way before. I never would have, wow. You have to say wow, okay? You get down to the end, you have wow, all right? What is the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. Number three, test your conclusions. Now you start to bring in outside help. Now you start to read different people's writings, whether they're commentaries or study Bible notes. Now you say, you shoot me an email or some other people that you trust and say, hey, I've been studying this passage. What do you think about this conclusion? What do you think about this? 
test your conclusions, but test them with the understanding that their interpretation, their understanding, their thoughts may be wrong. Because once you get out of the Bible and you start asking me and other people, you start asking commentaries, now that falls under opinion, right? We've done all the study and we've come to the conclusion and we've tested our thoughts, but there is still the chance that we're wrong. And so just because I say it, just because your favorite preacher says it, just because your commentary or your study Bible says it does not necessarily make it right. You just have a wealth of other people that you get to soundboard against and say, really, here's the big question for this step, what did I miss? What, did I, what do you know about this passage that I don't know? I've done all the work I've asked. Every My brain is tired of asking questions about this passage. I didn't even know I could ask so many questions about this passage. I've composed all my thoughts, but there is a chance that somebody asked a question that I never thought of. Right? There's a chance that somebody might know something about the geography. Somebody might know something about the original languages. Somebody might know something about whatever, the culture, whatever, that I just don't, I don't even know enough to ask the question. So when we come to the commentaries and the study notes, what you are not asking is, what does it mean? You've already done that. What you're asking is, what did I miss? What do you know that I don't know? Because the fact is that if you have done the study, if you have worked really hard and you've done all the observations and you've done all the questions, you've taken all the notes and you've composed your thoughts and everything, your notebook that you just built is just as valid as their commentary and their notebook that they built. Not because you ask them what does it mean and you just take their answer, but because you've actually done the work just like they did. Now, it's possible that you come to the same conclusion and you got there on the same path. And when that happens, especially one of the first times, you're like, woohoo, I think maybe I got this. <laughs> I might have the hang of this thing. Sometimes you come to the same conclusion, but you guys got there in a completely different way. You're reading their, their notes or whatever, and they're like, well, and then I went this and this and this, and you're like, whoa, okay, never would have done that, but we landed in the same place. Okay, all right. That's why we ask, what did I miss? Maybe if I knew that, I would have taken that same path, but instead I took this path, but we ended up in the same place. It doesn't seem to change the outcome. Or sometimes you come to a different conclusion. Sometimes that preacher on the podcast or in the church or the study notes or the commentary, you disagree with them. And here's what you have to do. You don't just take their word for it. Don't throw away all your work because somebody said something different. Because the question that you're asking them is not what does it mean, but what did I miss? If you came to a different conclusion, they probably asked questions, they probably went places that you didn't go. So you take their new, you take the questions that they ask, you take the information that they are presenting, and you filter it back through your process. If I knew this back then, when I was doing the process, would it have changed anything? Maybe you end up in the same place. Maybe you still disagree with them. And you know what? That's okay. 
that is perfectly okay. All right? I read the dude's whole post. I went through the process with him, and he's still a heretic. It's the way it is. He is absolutely wrong to call Jesus earth pig. I'm not going to agree with him. You know what's interesting, though? We took several steps on the same path before we diverged and came to different conclusions. There were some things in his process he said right before he wanted. Just, be, just because you... And it's not that somebody's always completely wrong. Sometimes, sometimes they look really, really good on the outset. Test your conclusions. Here's the last one. Submit to God's Word. Submit to God's Word. Ask questions. Compose your thoughts. Test your conclusions and then submit because a growing disciple acts on God's Word. Here's the question. What should I know or do? When most people talk about application, they're really thinking, in, in, in many cases, they're thinking, okay, there's the, there's the passage, there's the observations, you know, the questions, the notes, here's the interpretation, here's what it means, now what am I supposed to do about it? The fact is, is that there are a lot of passages that when we read them, when we study them, there's nothing for us that we have to do. But there is stuff that we're supposed to know. They're supposed to learn. The Apostle Paul said that the, all Scriptures, even the Old Testament, the early Scriptures, were written for our instruction, for our example. But that doesn't mean we have to obey them or do them. But we are supposed to learn from them. Every Scripture is inspired by God, right? I'll come back to that slide. Every Scripture is inspired by God. We saw this last week. So that it's useful for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in, in righteousness, so that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. It doesn't say that we have to do everything in the book, but we should know everything in the book. We should know it accurately. We should know it carefully so that we know whether we're supposed to do it or not. Some things we're just supposed to, to know. So the first thing that we're looking for is what was the application for the original audience? Don't forget, none of the Bible was written to you and me. It was written for us. We can learn from it, but what is, it was not written to us. It was written to a nation called Israel. It was written to a guy named Timothy. It was written to a church in Galatia, the churches of Galatia. That's not us. So there was an original audience. So the first thing when we're, what should I know or do, what we're looking for is, what, what was the application for that original audience? What were they supposed to know or do? Then we take the next step and say, okay, are there any timeless truths? Are there any general principles? Are there practices or commands that are not just for them, but they are for me too? Something... Some things are a command for them, but it's not a command for me. Just something I'm supposed to know and learn from, but not actually carry out. And it takes practice and it takes time to understand as we study the Bible. Not every application is a do. I love this quote. Every passage is equally inspired, but not every passage is equally applicable. Okay? It's not equally applicable. It's not applicable in the same way to every person across. Some things are. They're timeless truths. It doesn't matter your language. It doesn't matter your continent. It doesn't matter what generation we're born in. The principle is the same. Sometimes the command is the same. Don't worry. Shows up all the way throughout Scripture. Don't worry. That's a command all the way across the board. 
but many, many things are not. So we're dis distinguishing between principles and um, actual practices. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 that his aim, what his goal was, we proclaim him so that by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Bible study for the sake of study is not enough. If we are not maturing, if we're not growing, then we're just filling our heads and knowledge puffs up. Okay? And then to Timothy, Paul wrote, the aim of our instruction, the goal of our instruction, why we teach, is a love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Okay? So, what should I know or do? about Genesis 1.1. Do I have to do anything about it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do I need to do anything about that? Am I supposed to go create a heavens and an earth? What's, what's the application? What, what, how can I submit to God's Word in Genesis 1.1? Believe it. Number one, believe that this is true. Good. What else? Sorry? Both of you talking at the same time, and my ears, my ears are a little plugged up. Jessica, what did you say? Thanks. Things? Thanks. 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 Good. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, be, be thankful for what's there, Beth? Just, just by, knowing it. by knowing it. Just know that this is true, right? Worship God. Worship. I, 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 don't, I mean, if, if there is a him, her, it out there, that can do this, it sounds like something or someone I'd like to know better, right? It sounds like someone who deserves worship. There's all sorts of application in this verse that doesn't have anything to do with what I, like a command. There are no commands in this verse, and yet we can bring all sorts of principles and practices out of even Genesis 1.1. Here's our challenge as we close this morning. See, this is a simple process. Very, very simple. I hope it's memorable. I hope it's easier for you to remember than observation, interpretation, application. I can't even say it. Interpretation, application. I hope it helps you in your study. Good Bible study is hard work. It really is. If you've never worked hard at Bible study, if you've never really drained your brain and made your head hurt while you were studying the Bible, you have... Lots of space to go. There's lots of study available still for you. Good Bible study is hard work. It requires effort and patience. And then secondly, don't cheat yourself. And I do say cheat. Don't cheat yourself or someone else because remember, we're all teachers. Don't cheat yourself and don't cheat someone else just by stealing somebody else's work. Right? Do the work yourself. Don't copy somebody else's paper and try to pass it off as you learned something. Do the hard work. Show your work. Math teachers love that, right? Show your work. We dealt with that with our kids in, in school. Show your work. Don't just jump to the conclusion and say that's what it is. Go through the process. Spend the time. You will be better for it. You will be richer for it. Your heart, your soul, your mind will grow. Not just because knowledge puffs up, but then when we submit and we put it into practice, then we really grow to be the people that God wants us to be.